Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Good afternoon, everybody. It is the Steve Jones Show on a Thursday. News Radio 1070 WKOK. Matt Catrillo here with you. Steve will soon be there from the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, all new pre-owned inventory. All at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. A couple more guests today. 335 Scott Lobber from the Philadelphia Inquirer is going to join us. And we didn't get a chance a whole lot to get into what happened with the Phils and Nats with the foreign substance saga that happened there and across baseball as they continue to crack things down. They started it on Monday. So we'll get into that a little bit more in depth with Scott Lobber today at 335. And then Frank Bodani is scheduled at 4.06 from the York Daily Record to kind of give his perspective on what's happened this week across college athletics and how this can affect Penn State and relates to Penn State and things like that. So that'll be up at about 4.06 today. So a lot to get to, and we continue another busy day here on the Steve Jones Show. And getting back to... What happened with the Phils and the Nats? I, I alluded to a little bit of this yesterday when Steve and I were starting to break it down. I, I think, as I mentioned yesterday, it's it's gone out of hand with the way this has gone. I have no problem trying to crack down on the foreign substance thing, but as Steve said, this has been mismanaged. I totally agree with everything he said yesterday in his very entertaining opening rant yesterday about the MLB and the NBA. But I agree, and there's something that should have been done at the start of next year, maybe. You've, you've done what you needed to do against those minor leaguers. Then you could send out some sort of warning now, and then, hey, starting next year, we're cracking down. Starting next spring training, we're cracking down. I think that would have been the most viable option, but of course... MLB wanted to crack the whip now, and it's caused a little bit of chaos. I just don't think the timing was right in this right now. And it's also, you're trying to, MLB has been trying to make the game more entertaining, and they've been trying to make the game flow a little bit faster. Well, you're not going to flow it faster if you keep having to stop in the middle of a game because a manager thinks somebody's trying to cheat, or maybe he's just doing it in bad faith at his sportsmanship. 
And I don't really, it's hard to tell if Joe Girardi was trying to do that. Obviously, he denied doing so. He thought there was something really wrong, as you heard in, as we played that audio yesterday. But whether it's good faith or bad faith, whether a manager does that, they shouldn't have the power to do that. I'm sorry. This should be purely be a Major League Baseball problem in the fact that they are they're the ones that they should be policing this. To me, I'm fine with umpires periodic, periodically checking pitchers throughout the course of a game, but not in the middle of the game. Do it in the middle of the innings. And then do it when a, maybe when a relief pitcher comes in. You do it then. As I said yesterday, Steve, I think if Major League Baseball puts in a rule next year where they check pitchers after every two innings, so after the second, fourth, sixth, and eighth, then I think that's the best way to police it, and that way you're not trying to find players loopholing into, well, if he's, he's only going to check then, well, I can use it the rest of the game. No, that wouldn't happen that way. But as, as, we, as we both said yesterday, bad timing for it, needed to probably have started next spring training, and this has just been totally chaotic. Hmm. Well, I think that... Uh... This is something, and when we have what Scott Lauber coming up, we do, and we got Frank Bodani today too. Uh, but I'm going to ask Scott. Like, no offense, I, I know that Rob Manfred, I believe, Rob Manfred wrote an editorial in the New York Times. And by all accounts, um, gave a decent explanation of you know what they're doing. Okay. But here's the problem: you had the entire month of March to do this. You don't do it in the middle of the regular season. You don't go forty percent of the games in and say, "Okay, we're going to do this now." Like, what are you doing? You had March. You couldn't have done it then? Nobody sat down and said, hey, look, let's really go after this in spring training. Now, it's part of Major League Baseball's fault, too, is they changed the ball. They changed the ball. Absolutely. So everything that has happened here so far has been, to me, on Major League Baseball. I mean, they all have. It's all been Major League Baseball's fault. And I'm talking about New York Major League Baseball. I don't mean baseball in general. I mean the people running it. It's their fault. And I don't get what they do and why they do it. I don't get it. I don't understand why they never sit there and exercise common sense. All right, look, you know what? We need to enforce this thing. Substances on the ball. Let's go in March. It was already a problem to begin with. Everybody knew it was happening last year. Everybody knows. But just out of nowhere, it became a problem in May? Come on. 
Well, they're also contradicting themselves in a way. Because when it comes to the change of the baseballs, last year, last couple of years, MLB's been like, oh, we want to see more home runs. Oh, we want to see more offense. Make it more exciting. Everyone's talking about launch angles, and players are even focus, have focused their attention on that. But now you've changed the baseball to help the pitchers out, and now look, your batting average as a league is 218 last time I saw. So what, what do you want? Baseball doesn't know what they want right now. That, that, that in a nutshell is their problem. They don't know what they want. I don't know. That's uh, if they can't get something as simple as a baseball right. What makes you think they're going to get a basic agreement with the players correct? Right. That's true. We may not be having this conversation next year. <laughs> we might be talking exactly. about a lockout anyway, and this may not matter. Lockout, strike, something. Yep. Work stoppage, no question. I just think that I mean, if you can't get a baseball right, it's a baseball. It's a baseball. If you can't get that right, It's, you know, I, I think, no offense, a baseball simple. A contract negotiation with a powerful union, which they are, is not. I don't know. It's a game that I love. I love baseball. I mean, you love the Yankees, so you really you don't really love baseball. Do you? Um <laughs> I love baseball. Always have. And nothing they do is going to lessen that love for baseball. Um, but they sure do make it difficult to advance the cause among other people. Because, I mean, I can forgive a lot of stuff. Um. But there's just baseball, Major League Baseball is so poorly run right now that any success they have is in spite of themselves. That's just my opinion. I mean, that's just me. I don't now Scott may have a different opinion, but I, I feel like Major League Baseball has success in spite of itself. I wish it wasn't like that. I feel like the NBA in some ways. Well, the, the NBA has been is not a question of them succeeding in spite of themselves. I mean, you know, Adam Silver's been slick, he's been smart, whole thing. But now they've hit a bad patch. And it all started with the NBA teams going to China and then the Daryl Morey, of course, with his tweet in support of protesters in Hong Kong. And then the NBA Uh, showing everybody they were more interested in the, in the money and not in and not in issues and staying silent that didn't help and then the pandemic happened and that didn't help 
and then they come back to play, you know, and, and others, you know, and and uh, there was the issue about whether the, you know, uh, what was it uh, Blake got shot in the back in Kenosha? Correct. And the Bucks suddenly didn't play. And then there was a long conversation about whether they continue to play. And I'm not saying they're right or wrong here. I'm, I'm talking about perception, okay? Your ratings are already low to begin with. They get even lower. And then you get to the season, and you've got load management, which doesn't appear to be paying off for anybody. Load management for Kyrie Irving. He's not playing. Load management for Kawhi Leonard. He's he's not playing. So I mean, it didn't work. <laughs> okay, uh, it didn't work. And now you've got Atlanta, Milwaukee, the Clippers, and Phoenix, and the NBA is in a world of hurt ratings wise because you don't have it's you know something that we've talked about for years that they that the NBA needs marquee stars that uh, cross over every line to be successful and for the first time in years they don't have that and now they're hurting now is there a way out of it for them yes there is and Adam Silver to his credit is smart he's on he's on a great page with his union his players he's respected by his union and his players the difference is Rob Manfred, I don't know if he's respected by the union of the players. And they're botching up simple things like the baseball. They're botching it up. Again, you can't solve a baseball. How do you then solve the union? By the way, your, your guy Luke Voigt, former state college spike guy into the lineup last night and Brought a little professionalism to a unit that needs it badly. You, sir, are my hero! See, I, I bonded with one of your players. You did. I have bonded with him. I bonded with Anavino, and he was with you last year. Also, that, true. Then, to his credit, saw the light... And then uh, <laughs> it's interesting because the Spikes on the 4th of July are going to be playing a game at home. 15 years ago, they played their first ever 4th of July game at home. First time ever, 15 years ago. The starting pitcher in that game was Adam Anavino. The starting second baseman in that game was Donovan Solano. And they're both still active today. Solano started yesterday. He went, uh, what, two for four, two for five against the Angels yesterday for the San Francisco Giants. They're both still active. How about that? Can't beat it. Can't beat their bank account. Yeah. Hey, 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 look at the suit. I mean, he's dripping in cash. Oh, my almighty! On News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. And the pitch swung on and drilled to left. It is high. It is far. It is off the wall. 
Wade comes home. Wade scores. It's a walk-off line drive on the left field wall. Base hit by Luke Voigt. It scores Tyler Wade. And in a great, great game, the Yankees win it 6-5 with two in the bottom of the ninth. You, sir, are my hero. Matt roots for them. I know them. Uh, it's all, it's, you know. <laughs> yeah, he saved Chapman's rear end last night yet again. I mean, do you talk like this in front of little Luke? <laughs> no, I would be throwing I mean, the doghouse. I mean, I realize Luke is a biblical name, but I mean, I, I'm sensing you, you named him for voice. <laughs> no, if we were going to go anywhere down that scope... At the time, it would have been Carson. And I'm glad I didn't do that because I might have regretted that. <laughs> Carson? Or Carson Wentz? Yes. Really? Uh, and I know there were a bunch of Eagle fans that did that when they had kids right around that time. So I, I feel bad for them. Well, thank goodness that Norm Sneed wasn't your quarterback. All right. <laughs> if you like, a lot of guys, a lot of kids called Norm just like in uh, in uh, Cheers, Norm walks in. He goes, "How is it out there, Norm? It's a dog eat dog world, and I feel like I'm wearing milk bone underwear." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I was a big Cheers fan. I thought that show was a riot. The dog eat dog world, and right now I feel like I'm eating milk. I'm wearing milk bone underwear. <laughs> All right, Scott Lobber, Philly Inquirer. Next, we'll talk about Joe Girardi, the Phillies' bull, bullpen, and the mess of Major League Baseball. Taking your calls at 800 795 9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15, Hummels Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, great new inventory, the best. Fabulous. Selection of pre-owned inventory, all with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. The solid Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15, Humble's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Uh, one of the best in the business, without question, Scott Lobber, Philly Inquirer, joins us. Scott, how have you been? Good. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for asking. Uh, before I get to the Philly specifically, I want to get the big picture for a moment. In the NFL, you and I both know that they'll do points of emphasis in the preseason. That way they'll call a million penalties and at least make their point. Why didn't baseball, when it came to the ball itself, not do something in spring training about this and wait until 40% into the season? So Major League Baseball would tell you that they did do something in that they um, – sent a memo to teams uh, basically saying knock it off um, you know in terms of the uh, the sticky stuff the substances uh, and that um, and that they were going to implement what they have implemented which are uh, that they are going to have uh, the pitchers checked um, and uh, it was coming down the pike and you talk to people around the game and they say that pitchers knew that this was coming this should not take them by surprise 
if they are still doing something or if they had been doing something. Um, and now they're claiming, you know, like uh, pitchers who are claiming that you can't make this change midseason because it, it, you know, it, it alters how we, we prepare. People around the game are saying, like, you knew this was coming. We warned you about it in spring training. If you were still doing something and now you've got to quit cold turkey in the middle of the season, that's on you. Um, so baseball will say that it did um, that it did uh, put this out there that this was going to happen, uh, and uh, you know I think you and I can both agree that they didn't do enough. And, and the other thing about this, I think that's important to note, is that while we're fixated on um, these random checks and pitchers unbuckling right. their belts and in some cases pulling down their pants <laughs> and kind of making a mockery of the whole thing. Right. Um, and how awkward it is. You know, that's the spectacle of the whole thing. The real issue here is that, you know, baseball's got to come up with something um, with the ball. I mean, they've got to fix the ball, basically. They've got to put some, you know, uh, they've got to develop a ball which has a tack on it. They do this in Japan where pitchers yeah. can get the grip that they need and they don't have to go to these, you know, spider tack and other things that are illegal. Fix the ball. If you fix the ball, you fix the problem. And that's really the heart of the matter here. And I think it gets lost in, in the whole, you know, spectacle of, of, of what's gone on now all week long. Which goes back to something I've talked about a lot recently. And that is, if an organization can't fix a ball... How are they going to be able to fix a collective bargaining agreement starting November 30th? Right, right. I mean, I think baseball, I think we have a tendency to, um, uh, a lot of times, to uh, emphasize the negatives in the game, what's wrong with the game. But it feels like in the last few years, the game is is broken, Um, whether it's the lack of action in the game or the fact that, um, you know, just generally, games are harder to watch. Strikeouts are up, walks are up, uh, home runs are up, scoring in general is down, fewer balls in play. And then you brought it up, the whole collective bargaining agreement issue, which is threatening to shut the game down after the, uh, you know, after the 1st of December when the CBA expires, we could have a work stoppage. So lots of issues in the game right now. And, you know, the baseball itself is at the top of the list, at least for me. Um, there's just so much that, that baseball's got to go through um, in order to, you know, get to the next uh, phase of the game that we need to get to. You know, it's interesting, though, in the world of analytics, it does for the, you know, not for the most part, but discourages, for example, stealing a base. Right. Yeah, you look at the San Diego Padres, Scott, you and I both know the Padres run. Uh, and, and to the point where I think the Dodgers are uncomfortable putting Canley Jansen in because, I mean, you and I would have a shot <laughs> running on him. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, the Red Sox with Cora run a little bit. Yeah. Uh, why Why is it there? Is it there? You and I both know sports are copycats. Why don't more try to copy what a couple of successful managers are doing in San Diego and Boston? Because, I mean, I realize personnel counts in this, but why isn't there a little more copycat in that? You hit on it. I think personnel, I think teams are not built that way um, anymore. 
right. if if those things are not being emphasized in the game, then players who do those things and mostly those things are not being carried on rosters. So, look, I think part of it's personnel, but I also think part of it, I hope, uh, is cyclical. Like, you know, what do they say? Everything that's old is new again or, um, you know, uh, whatever that expression is. Um, right. You know, I think, you know, uh, retro comes back, right? It's, um, right? And so maybe maybe we'll see it swing back around, the pendulum swing back around so that, um, you know, if a few teams do have success doing it that way, that maybe more teams right. will will copy that. Well, the Phillies, when you look at the bullpen, and I did, Scott, you and I, this is something we talked about <laughs> several times over the years. What's the current issue with the bullpen? Because yesterday was interesting. <laughs> Yeah, you know, just when you think that um, that it couldn't possibly get worse than it was last year for the Phillies, uh, they have a day, at least, uh, in 2021 that uh, topped anything they did in 2020 uh, as far as reaching lows. They blew a five-run lead, a four-run lead, and a one-run lead in the ninth inning in that game. They scored 12 runs and lost 13-12. It was about as bad a loss as you can imagine, uh, and and it took five hours or close to it. Um, it. It was about as bad a loss as you could possibly have. If, if you ask me what the issue was yesterday, I mean, incredibly. So I guess in theory they began the day with a 10-man bullpen, right. which in and of itself is unheard of. But four of those relievers were not available, according to Joe Girardi, because of recent workload issues, which is also difficult to imagine, considering how many off days the Phillies have had this month, that you could go into a game with four relievers who are unavailable. Part of that has to do with the fact that starters haven't given them a whole lot of length lately. The last two turns through the rotation, I think uh, a starter has finished the sixth inning one time. So when that happens, uh, your bullpen tends to get worn down. They would have gone to any number of options in the sixth inning before they went to David Hale if they had had Ranger Suarez available, if they had had uh, Connor, uh, if they had had even Spencer Howard available. Um, uh, you know, they, those guys were not available, so he had to use a mop-up man in a critical situation in the game in the sixth inning. Um, I, look, I think it, it is as much a bullpen management issue as it is a roster construction issue. Yeah, I, was, I, I kind was of about thought to coming into that. the season that they were a reliever short still yeah. of, of having a, a, a much better bullpen, and, yeah. you know, it's starting to bear that out. They just don't have enough guys that Joe Girardi can trust in big spots. That's a big part. You can't trust them. You don't know what to do at that point. I mean, that I understand. Now, down the road, I believe that starting next year, Scott, you're only going to be allowed to have 13 pitchers on the roster anyway, if I, if I read it correctly. Uh, what is that going to do for – because idealistically, I believe they want to get to 11 here eventually, or you can only have 11 pitchers on a roster for a game. I mean, that's, I think that's the eventual goal. What's that going to do for managers as to how they manage the game, in your opinion, once these things are, are put into play? Well, it's going to force them to stick with starters longer, which is a good thing. I think um, I as much success as a team like the Rays have had with 
short starts and whatnot, I think you want to see a starter go deep into a game. At least I do. Um, that's the game that I was, you know, that I grew up Me with. Too. Um, so I think that's one thing. Um, but I, I think it's also going to change how you manage your roster. I mean, so right now, I mean, one of the reasons why the Phillies have 14 pitchers on their roster right now is that Spencer Howard and Bailey Falter uh, are both young starting pitchers who are getting built up uh, in the big leagues. And they really have two guys for one spot in the rotation right now. And they are able to do that because they can carry 14 pitchers. So uh, you're not going to be able to do that, obviously, if you limit the number of pitchers on a roster. You're not going to be able to have two guys essentially for one spot. So um, it's it's going to change a little bit of how you think about building your, your, your roster. And and how you assign those roles. I mean, you're, you can't carry five long men. Phillies essentially have four long men right now in their bullpen. Five if you count Matt Moore, who was just added to the roster yesterday and is going to start one of the games tomorrow in New York. So uh, you're not going to be able to do that. You're going to absolutely positively have to um, define a role, which means, in theory, you're going to have to have guys who um, uh, who – uh, you're going to have to carry guys who you know you're going to use. Absolutely know you're going to use them. A uh, couple of young guys for a moment. Um, Alec Bohm coming off a four-hit game. Your thoughts on him. And then, and I'm only asking this for personal reasons because uh, Mark Veerling is here with the Stake College Spikes right now. So his brother right. Matt now is up with the Phillies. So just a quick uh, you know, thumbnail on what you've seen from him so far, and then, of course, along with Alec Bohm. So Veerling is interesting. Uh, he you know, didn't play last year because there was no minor leagues, and um, uh, he went to Australia, I believe, uh, played yep. a little bit of winter ball. Um, yep. Actually, I'm sorry, Luke Williams went to Australia. Veerling, yeah. um, Veerling went to Instructional League yeah. uh, after the season was over to kind of make up for some of those lost at-bats. Then went to big league camp, um, right. started the season in double-A, and played really, really well at Reading. They promoted him a week ago, uh, a little over a week ago, to triple-A, and he had like five hits in his first three games. And Matt Joyce went on the IL, and so rather than you know calling up Mickey Moniak, who's been here before and is now banged up, uh, Adam Hazley, I think, had been banged up at the time and is now on the IL in Lehigh Valley. The Phillies right. decided, hey, look, let's call up Burling. He's been hot in the minor leagues. And, you know, just turn him loose and see if he can keep that streak going, that hot streak going in the big leagues. It's not, an, it's not a, a bad way of thinking of it. It's not, a, it's not a bad approach to take when you call a player up. Uh, you want to make sure that he's swinging the bat well. And, and you know, he picked up a, couple of, a few hits over the weekend in San Francisco, got a pitch hit his first at-bat. And he's done all right. So, I mean, it's interesting because he's a guy who, you know, we were wondering how players who didn't play last year would would uh, would fare as they get back into playing, playing every day. And, and right. um, for him, it's happened relatively quickly. So he's a right-handed hitter. Um, it'll be interesting to see uh, how they use him going forward now, um, whether he makes occasional starts against lefties or whatnot. But... You know, I think he's a guy to definitely keep an eye on uh, because he certainly opened their eyes throughout the course of the year. And Alec Bohm, um, you know, that was really the positive that came out of yes, there were a few. I mean, McCutcheon hit a grand slam, and right. Jankowski had a few hits and a, and a home run. And but Alec Bohm had a four hit day. Uh, that's a career high for him. We're talking about a guy who went a month, a solid month, with one extra base hit. 
and now he's got a few in his last few games. And um, he talked after the game yesterday about putting the bat on the ball more, making more contact, striking out less. Good things happen when you put the ball in play. And, um, you know, all of those things are true. And if, if he's able to do that on a more consistent basis, look, they know Alec Bohm can hit. I mean, he hit last year in 45 games after he came up. Um, I think it was it was very easy to fall into the trap of saying, well, you know, Alec Bohm's here now. He's arrived. He's a fully formed, you know, major league hitter. He had 40, a 45-game rookie season in a 60-game year. And, you know, there were going to be struggles along the way. I think if you take his current season and last year, you know, he still hasn't played a full season yet. So um, there were going to be struggles along the way. He's gone through that. Maybe he's coming out the other end of it now. And they certainly need it because, as a guy in the middle of that lineup, they need another guy to to, to hit, and uh, it would be good if Alec Bohm could provide that. One final question, Scott, and then I'll let you go. Thanks so much for your time. And that deals with Gabe Kapler. Obviously, the Phillies just played the San Francisco Giants. Uh, we all know what Gabe did with, with the Phillies, but sometimes you learn from that experience, and then the next chance you get, you are a little different or you apply things differently. Are you sensing anything in Gabe Kapler and his approach that he's managing the San Francisco Giants a little different or a little more mature or applying his thought process better there than he did in Philadelphia? Oh, oh I think he's learned uh, from his Philly experience. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, I, I talked to him uh over the weekend, but uh, last weekend, but I talked to him at length uh, when they were in town in April um, to play the Phillies, and and he talks about how he's a little bit um, less, um, he's a little bit more attuned to, um, you know, the play, the player as a human being. You know, like yeah. uh, the numbers tell you one thing, and um, you know the numbers can tell you can can guide you a certain way, but. You know, the player is the one who's actually playing the game, and so he's a little bit more attuned to a player and how a player feels, a player's comfort level in a certain spot. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, his first year with the Phillies, uh, he talked to uh, Carlos Santana, who was on the team that year, and they talked about batting in a specific spot in the order. Um, Santana hit second a lot that year. He also hit cleanup a lot that year, and I believe I want to say it was batting in the two-hole, and they talked about it in spring training, and Santana you know, kind of expressed that he didn't love it. He, he, he preferred kind of uh, seeing a couple more hitters face a pitcher maybe before that first time at the plate. For whatever reason, he just didn't love it to hit you know, closer to the top of the order. And Kapler listened to him and kind of then looked at the numbers and thought, well, Santana would be good up there, and put him up there and it didn't work out so well for the first month, month and a half of that 18th season and uh, then ended up dropping him down and I think it taught him that look, if I just listened to the guy in the first place, you know, whatever the numbers were telling me, the player was telling me something different and I think, I think he's learned some of those lessons um, and you look at that Giants team, he has a lot of players on that team he, you know, that team is um, an interesting group, it's an interesting roster, you have a lot of interchangeable parts, guys who can play different positions, a lot of platoons on that team, different lineup versus righties than versus lefties. But right there in the middle of that lineup, on most days, he's got Buster Posey, Brandon Belt, and Brandon Crawford. Yep. And those three guys won one World Series with the Giants. 
they're leaders of that team. And I think he's very much attuned to what those guys think and how they feel and um, what they say and, and all of that. So, you know, if there's a change in, in Kapler, I think that's probably it. Um, I, I will say I think the Giants are a good team. Uh, they're a better team than I, than I thought they would be at the start of the season. I will say that Kapler had good first halves with the Phillies in both 18 and 19, and mm-hmm. then it was the second half of the season that didn't go so well. So I think a lot of people who followed Gabe Kapler here are going to be watching the Giants very closely in the second half to see if they start to slip a little bit, you know, or if, or if uh, you know, if they had that second-half slide that Kapler's Phillies teams did. But, you know, I'll tell you, I mean, having seen them twice now, once here and once there, um, that's, that's an impressive group, and they can do a lot of things. They hit a lot of home runs, and, um, and they're pitching really, really well. And uh, that's a recipe for a lot of wins. It's always great talking with you. I enjoy it so much. Scott, thank you for the time you gave us today. I really appreciate it. Anytime, Steve. Thanks for having me. Scott Lauber joining us, Philadelphia Inquirer. Talking about the Phillies and Major League Baseball. So if you had named your oldest son Norm after Norm Sneed and stayed with the with the Cheers theme would Mark be Cliff and you could have Dormy and Cliff <laughs> tempting Cliff, but I don't know if I don't know if the wife would go Cl- for that Cliffy Catrillo <laughs> I'm gonna say probably not because I would lose out on that one. Oh, you're the husband you lose out on everything don't yeah, worry about it that's true <laughs> I, I mean look it's like when you go into, I mean, look, it's like when you go into the ocean, okay? Every time you go in the ocean, you're the visiting team. We'll come back with more in a moment. Great to have you with us today here on News Radio 1070 WK, okay? Get the lingerie on the deck, call the janitor. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Frank Bodani in the next half hour. We're going to talk about name, image, and likeness, college football playoff, and more. Great to have Frank back on the show. Our thanks to Scott Lobber for joining us to talk about the Phillies today. Yankees, Gary Sanchez had a big home run. I give the and, guy credit. Uh, I do. You know, it's Gary Sanchez and Matt have a love-hate relationship. Matt loves to hate him.